The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Would you take your Bible and find the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 26 this morning. We'll focus our attention there in just a moment in Isaiah chapter 26. We live in a world of what-ifs. Suspicion and apprehension leave a free-floating cloud of dread over us at all times, and we're often anxious about what might be. Christians are not exempt from that sense of anxiety. It was Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers from the 18th century, who battled with anxiety and depression, who made this statement, Our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, it only empties today of its strengths. Many believe that anxiety and fear are synonymous, but I submit to you they're not. While anxiety and fear are not twins, they are cousins. There are similarities, but there's differences. Fear sees a threat, anxiety imagines one. Fear screams, get out. Anxiety contemplates, what if? Fear is that pulse that pounds when you see a coiled rattlesnake in your front yard. Anxiety is the voice that tells you never ever for the rest of your life walk barefooted on any green grass because there's a snake somewhere. Anxiety is different than fear. But according to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are reaching an epidemic proportion. Anxiety disorders in the United States are number one, the number one mental health problem among women, and second only to alcohol and drug abuse among men. The United States of America is now the most anxious nation in the world. Now, from the beginning, I want to say, anxiety is not sin. Anxiety is not sin, it is an emotion. But that emotion can lead to sinful behavior, so it's important that we deal with anxiety. So today I want to talk to you about perfect peace in anxious times. And I want to use the words of the prophet Isaiah, because as Isaiah writes to us, he's writing in a time of great anxiety. The bulk of the early chapters of the book of Isaiah deal with judgments against the people who have turned their backs on the Lord, and it gives the impression of a hopeless situation. But there's a pattern in the writing of Isaiah as he begins to, to, to review the hopeless situation. He always returns to a consistent hope in the sovereignty of God. In my opinion, the most hopeful, encouraging scripture of Isaiah for anxious times is found in Isaiah 26, verse 3. The scripture says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. These inspired words are poetic lyrics within a song, of te- a tale of two cities of sorts, mentioned in Isaiah chapter 24, 25, and 26. 
While the first city is not directly named, most people believe that it was a city in Moab because Moab is mentioned in Isaiah 25 verse 10. And the capital of Moab would have been that city on the east side of the Jordan. In modern day Jordan today, it's referred to as Dibon. There's some unique descriptions of that city that would cause social and cultural anxiety throughout all the land of Israel. Isaiah 24 verse 10 directly refers to the city as a city of confusion. And as a result of that confusion, every house is broken down and the city is closed up. There is crying in the streets and there's, there's joy that has been darkened. And the word confusion has the idea of a wasteland or a place of chaos. Isaiah 25 verse 2 refers to that city, but now not about the city, but about the citizens. It refers to a city of terrible nations, a city of cruel people. He's now moving past the confusion in the streets to the cruelty in the heart of the people, a place where death and murder were common everyday events. And much of what you read in Isaiah 25 and and 24 would describe the cities of our day. Our cities are filled with confusion and cruelty and crime. But now Isaiah pivots in Isaiah 26, verse 1, and he begins to speak of a strong city. And he says in verse number 1, In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and for bulwarks. When you see that first phrase, in that day, it's obvious that Isaiah is referring to the second coming of Christ. The day that Christ returns to this earth and he marches across the Kidron Valley up through the eastern gate and he takes the rightful place on the throne of David and rules and reigns. And the Bible says in that day, the prophecy will be fulfilled and the song will be sung. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. It's a new song sung about a new Jerusalem. And this prophetic Uh, scripture of the second coming of Christ is honestly prophetic because the city of Jerusalem honestly uh, resembles more the city of Dibon in the city of Moab today. I've been to Israel multiple times. One of the things I find unique about when I go there is how that it's just like any other metropolitan city on the face of this globe. There are still elements of crime. There are still protests. There are still rights. The city of Jerusalem, the name Jerusalem means city of peace. And it's ironic as you watch these these street cleaning mechanisms that are automated as they go around the city. They have in three languages the words, the city of peace. And it's ironic that in a city of peace, there are protests and riots and death and murder. Why? Because Christ has not come yet to bring peace to this earth. It should be no surprise that all the cities of the earth are filled with confusion and cruelty. Cities occurred after the fall of man. In Genesis 3, from there when man fell into sin, there has never been known a godly city. But one day when Christ comes, the city of God on earth will be known because the Messiah rules and reigns from the throne of David. You see, the Bible begins with a garden, but it ends with a city. It begins with a garden that is perfect in innocence, and it ends with a new Jerusalem where Jesus Christ, the Messiah, rules and he will reign. And with that black backdrop of, of, of this darkened time, the jewel, the diamond of this scripture, Isaiah 26, verse 3, is found. Notice what it says in verse 3 again. Thou wilt keep them in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Now, wait a minute. We were just talking about a city. And now he says, thou, who is thou? 
The thou is the Christ upon the throne. Now we rightfully look at this text and we look at it prophetically for the future, but I don't think it's a disservice to apply the principle of Christ's lordship to our lives personally today. College student, you do not have to have peace on earth to have peace of mind. While the world is filled with confusion and cruelty, it is possible to live a life without anxiety because Jesus Messiah reigns on the throne of your heart, your life, and your mind. So according to Isaiah 26 verse 3, when you live in anxious times, you can rest in Christ's lordship. You'll, you'll find three things. First of all, you'll discover there is calm in the chaos. Look again at verse 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. That's a wonderful promise, perfect peace. God promises I can have perfect peace, and not only can I have it, I will be kept, I will be secure in that perfect peace. When you study the Hebrew and you see the original language of this text in verse 3, when you see what's in the English as perfect peace, what you find in the Hebrew is shalom, shalom. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. There's a double emphasis that is placed. It is a perfect peace. What peace that may run out, there's another peace that will come. And that Hebrew repetition conveys the intensity of that peace. So how are we kept in perfect peace? How do we have calm in the chaos? Max Lucado has provided an acrostic using the word calm that I believe is helpful, that helps us have calm in the chaos. It's based on Philippians 4 verse number 7, where the word of God says, and the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 verse 7 is the New Testament equivalent to Isaiah 26 verse 3. And as Lucado takes this verse, he, he, he points out that the, that the promise of the peace that passeth all understanding is contingent to the and at the beginning of the verse. Look at it in the context. If you want to have calm, he says, first of all, you must celebrate the goodness of God. Verse 4 of Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. God is a good God. In spite of all that is wrong with this world, God is still on his throne, and he still blesses us with his goodness. Nahum 1 verse 7 says this, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. Celebrate the goodness of God. If you awaken this morning, celebrate the day that God has given you, the life that he's given you. If you've eaten this morning, if you have gone through the process of a normal routine, thank you for this is the day the Lord has made. Celebrate, rejoice in the goodness of God that he's given. But not only celebrate the goodness of God, ask for God's help. Verse 6 of Philippians 4 says, let your request be made known unto God. Those things that you're anxious about, those things that you're worried about, those things that are distracting you from the things that you should be focused on, give them to God and say, God, whether they're real or they're imagined, I trust them with you and I need your help in these matters. Celebrate God's goodness, ask for God's help, but then leave your concerns with him. Philippians 4 verse number 6, he says, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, everything that you're facing with prayer, asking God, with supplication, begging from God, with a spirit of thanksgiving that he is in control and you can rest in him, that you can leave your concerns with him. 
Celebrate the goodness of God. The Ask for God's help. Leave your concerns with him. But then meditate on the good things. Philippians 4 verse number 8 reminds us that we're to think on those things that are true and honest and just. Those things that are of a good report. Those things that are worthy of our mind's meditation. And as you do that, you can find a sense of calm in a world filled with chaos. You know, you're not the only ones who needs calm. This world is seeking for a calm in chaos. The, did you realize that the Bible is the most read uh, piece of literature, for lack of a better term, on the Amazon Kindle? It's read by more people around the world on the Amazon Kindle. And not only that, it is the most highlighted book that has ever been placed on the Amazon Kindle. And here's what I find most interesting. The most highlighted verse in the Amazon Kindle Bible is Philippians 4 verse number 7. And the peace of God that passes all understanding is available to you just as it is anyone else. You see, you can find that shalom, shalom. You can find that perfect peace. You can find that peace that passes all human understanding when you rest in the fact that He, the Messiah, is ruling your life. When you rest in Christ's lordship, you'll discover calm and chaos. Here's a second thought. When you rest in Christ's lordship, you can experience clarity of mind. Again, Isaiah 26, verse 3, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. The mind is important to Isaiah. He begins with an invitation in Isaiah 1, verse number 18, and he says, come now, let us reason together. He focuses upon the importance of the mind. But from chapters 24 through 25, as he's laid out this poetic argument of speaking of cities, he now speaks to the citizen. And he says, make certain that there is clarity of mind, there is reasoning that is present. If you're going to overcome anxiety, it requires that you have that clarity of mind. And how do you experience that clarity of mind? It requires, first of all, that you have a personal focus. Do you see it again? Look at verse 3. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. It did not say that will keep them, the, the corporate, the collective, the, the, the city as a whole. It's the individual basis that they are kept in perfect peace. And may I say, college student, may I encourage you to avoid the group think that will cause you to desire to pressure, to, to, to cave to the pressure of the culture. Solomon Ash was a psychologist in the 1950s, and he did a study to prove how that the culture does often impact our thinking, how it often changes our mind. He did a study with a number of classes, and he, he, would, he would bring in a number of students into a classroom. Let's say there were 15 students in the classroom. He would say to 14 of those students, now I want to point to the wrong answer, and you say that it's right. And then he would say to, uh, to another student that he, that he would come into that room and point to the, right, to the right answer, and he was to point to it. Here's what would happen. As, as the, the student would come in, Ash would point to the wrong answer, and the majority that were in that uh, conspiracy of sorts would say that the wrong answer was right, and that one student that was not part of the conspiracy, 75% of the time would conform to what the majority had said. We live in a day where there's people who are trying to tell you that what is wrong is right and what is right is wrong. But to have an anxiety-free mind, it requires that you have the clarity to say that Christ is my Lord and the culture does not direct me. 
Romans 12 verse number 2 reminds us, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a direct correlation by what you think and how you believe. And there's a direct correlation about how you believe as to how you behave. It requires that you have a clarity of mind with personal single-mindedness, not wavering to the crowd. The Lord, the Messiah, will keep you in perfect peace. But not only is it personal, it's also persevering. Notice this, it says he'll keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. The word stayed is a reference to the ropes that hold the ship's mast upright in the, even in the worst of storms. And that's what the, 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 the stay of our mind is when it's braced upon the Word of God. Francis Havergal, the uh, writer of the hymn, Like a River Glorious, was dying of pneumonia when she penned those words of that famous hymn. And she borrowed from Isaiah 26, verse 3, stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. It requires a personal focus. The Lord, the Messiah, will keep you in perfect peace as your mind is stayed on Him. But not only is it personal and persevering, I want you to notice also it's a present focus whose mind is stayed on you. Not will be stayed or has been stayed. It is a present focus in your life. Lord, today, as I face whatever I face, as the anxiety may overwhelm me, as whatever it is that's coming against me, my mind is focused upon you today. And when you have that clarity of mind, you can't be distracted by anxiety. It was through personal focus that Daniel could sleep in the lion's den. Even though his prayer to God put him in that situation, it was the God to whom he prayed that he knew that he would be delivered by. It was through persevering focus that Joseph could be betrayed by his brothers and falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and forgotten by his prison cell friends until he could wait to the fulfillment of his dream. It was present focus that, that Paul could sing and praise the Lord at midnight in a Philippian jail cell and ultimately experience a release from that, that jail cell. All of these Bible characters faced anxious moments and maintained a personal persevering present focus. This past July, I had the privilege to be a part of a summit on religious liberty. And while I was there with just 30 other folks from Christian colleges around the country, I was privileged to meet the Solicitor General of the state of Mississippi. His name is Scott Stewart. You may not know his name, but you'll know what he's done. He was the, the gentleman who argued the Dobbs case that ultimately overturned Roe v. Wade earlier this year. As he spoke to us, he began to share his heart as to why he felt as if uh, he was successful in having Roe v. Wade turned over. And not only he, but he, he acknowledged his team as well as the Attorney General of the state of Mississippi. The first thing that stood out to me is he said this, we had the right position. We knew we were right in what we said, but we wanted to make certain we had the right disposition as we argued that. It's that principle that we've talked about in Proverbs, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Sometimes it is not what you say, it is how you say it. So he said, we came humbly before the Supreme Court justices and we were not adversarial, we were persuasive. We showed them with logic, we showed them with science, we showed them with history, the importance of life. He said, we had the right position, but we wanted to make certain we didn't come in with the wrong disposition. The second reason that he said that they won the case was this. 
because they asked the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. When he said that, I was surprised because he followed up by saying this. Since Roe v. Wade was adjudicated by the Supreme Court, there has not been a single appeal to the Supreme Court asking for the, for the reversal of Roe v. Wade. And he said, we knew we had the right argument. We knew we had the right approach, but we had to ask the question. Even in the 1992 Casey case, there was not a petition to reverse Roe v. Wade. And Scott Stewart said, as I made that known that we were going that direction, there were people all across the country in the pro-life movement that said, don't do that. You're setting yourself up for a terrific loss. It'll be an embarrassment for our cause. Our opponents will be emboldened further if we lose in this case. And I like what Scott Stewart said. He said, in that moment, I had the clarity of mind to know that this would be the only opportunity that I could impact change. He referred to it as his Queen Esther moment for such a time as this. And he decided regardless of what those who may be uh, opposed to his position or his direction or his desire, he decided it was the right thing to do. And as a result, we know the rest of the story today. Roe v. Wade has been turned over. I, I use that illustration to say this, that your generation will be faced with more of these moments. And it's going to require that you stand, sometimes even alone. It's going to require that you stand and do what is right regardless of what the culture says. And you can do that without anxiety as you rest in Christ's lordship. And the Lord gives to you a perfect peace to do that which is right. When you rest in Christ's lordship, you'll discover calm in the chaos. You'll experience clarity of mind. But thirdly, you'll find confidence for life. Look again at verse number three of Isaiah 26. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusteth in thee. Did you notice that word because? The scripture does not say we have perfect peace because our mind is focused on Christ. It says because we trust in Christ, our focus remains on Christ and we enjoy that perfect peace. So what Isaiah is saying is this, when it comes to anxiety, it comes down to a trust issue. It's a familiar verse that we often take for granted, but it's still true. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and, and lean not to thine own understanding. All thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Simply trust. Henry Nouwen tells the story of how he learned about trust from a family of trapeze artists known as the Flying Rodleys. He visited them one time, and after watching them fly through the air with elegant poise, he began to ask them about the secret of being a trapeze artist. And, and the acrobat gave Henry Nouwen this response. He said, the secret is this, that the secret is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, my catcher, I simply have to stretch out my arms and hands and, and wait for him to catch me and pull me safely over the apron. The worst thing the flyer can do is try to catch the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's task to catch me. If I grab Joe's wrist, I might break them, or he might break mine, or well, that would be the end of both of us. A, a flyer must fly, a catcher must catch and the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. 
the college students in the great trans, 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 it's easy for me to say, in the great trapeze act of salvation. God is your catcher. You're just the flyer. And it requires only one thing of you, trust. Just trust. We rely solely on God's ability to catch us. And here is the good news. Your father has never dropped anyone and he will not drop you. And here's the even better news. If you can trust him with your eternal soul, you can trust him with your life today. And the things that you're anxious about, God's got you. His grip is sturdy. His hands are open. And when cruelty and confusion and chaos surround you, you can rest in the catcher, Jesus the Messiah, who brings calm in the chaos, clarity in the mind, and confidence for life. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.